Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scano. Yes, yes, that's who it is. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, an anarchist society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power that's direct democracy. The people involved in the decision make that decision and then appoint or elect delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local regional and national level society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good very simple concepts it's about creating society without rulers how do you create a society without rulers you create a society without rulers by having decision making processes which include everybody involved in that decision and you hold wealth in common it's inequalities in power and wealth which uh, the uh, stock feed, you like that? The stock feed for rulers. You've got no inequalities in power and wealth. It's very difficult to uh, create a ruling class. Now, I've got a reasonably esoteric but important program today. A very important program because we gave us slaughter a few sacred cows. And there are a lot of sacred cows in the land of milk and honey. The land of opportunity, the land of equality for some, the land of Oz, the land down under. There are a lot of uh, things that we uh, need to look at, and one is the Australian Constitution. Now, I'm not one of these people who, you know, is particularly concerned regarding the Constitution, because in essence... The Australian Constitution highlights the concerns of the 1890s. Whether on the Australian continent you would have six sovereign nation states or whether you would have one federated nation state. And if you look at the Australian Constitution, you will see that unlike most constitutions around the world, it pays it doesn't even bother to pay lip service to the concept of individual liberty. Not even lip service. It's quite an extraordinary document. And if you've got a few hours left in your life, it's uh, 
worthwhile reading, having a looking at it. Because, see, the dilemma is this. This is a dilemma. When you've got a constitutional framework, the legislation which Parliament makes is totally determined by that constitutional framework. And if Parliament kind of gets a little bit big for its boots and makes legislation which doesn't fit into that constitutional framework, then there is the option for the seven wise ones, which is the High Court judges, for political appointments. Let's not forget magistrates, county court judges, Supreme Court judges on a state level, and the High Court judges are all political appointments. Let's not forget that. That have the final say on whether legislation is kosher or not. Now, over the last ooh, 15 months, maybe 16 months, I've been involved in this little esoteric um, sword fight through the court system regarding an interesting part of, or a fundamental, if not a cornerstone, of the Australian Constitution. And a lot of people have the erroneous belief that somehow they have a right to vote which is enshrined in the Australian Constitution because representative democracy is the cornerstone in essence of the Constitution. So people go on about my right to vote, my right to freedom of speech, my right to this, my right to that. And I thought it's time that this was tested through the courts in a very simple, inexpensive way. And what I'd like to do today, as the court case finally, finally after eight appearances um, ended on the uh, 19th of July 2016, I think uh, it's important that we actually look at the judgment and what it means for parliamentary democracy and what it means as far as rights are concerned. Because in the Australian Constitution, apart from freedom of religion, there is no protection for the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. That's why Parliament can pass legislation to put asylum seekers in concentration camps offshore and it's totally legal, all legal, all constitutional. And that's why Parliament can detain, pass legislation which sees asylum seekers detained indefinitely despite not being charged with any offence. And what we've seen over the last two decades is a whole raft of legislation which has contained, removed, nullified so-called constitutional rights that you enjoy. Because ultimately... There are no constitutional rights as far as... 
I told you it'd be a tough program as far as the individual is concerned. So I'd like to go through my submission first. I'd like you just to, you know, think about it as we go through it. Then we'll look at the final decision and what it means for people in this country. And we had a taste of what it means when the Greens and Liberal National Party joined forces to change the voting rules in the Senate election, which basically uh, changed a compulsory preferential system to an optional preferential system. And we'll talk about that. (coughs) (coughs) And we'll talk about that later on. Now, let's start. Hearing Magistrates Court, Moorabbin, Melbourne, 19th of July, 9.30am. This is my submission. This is the eighth time I'll be appearing in court. Six in the Magistrates Court, twice in the Supreme Court of Victoria, Common Law Division Appeals List, on the charge of failing to vote in the federal election on the 7th of September 2013 without a valid and sufficient reason in contravention of Section 245 of the Commonwealth Electoral Act 1918. I would like to mention I take my responsibilities as a citizen seriously and have stood as an independent Senate candidate at every federal election since 1988, including the 2013 federal election, and I'm standing as an independent candidate for the House of Representatives in the federal electorate of Dunkley, Dunkley at the federal election on the 2nd of July 2016. <coughs> so why would I, me, consciously fail to vote? Compulsory voting was introduced by the Commonwealth Parliament in, 2000, in 1924 as a direct response to the dramatic fall in the number of electors voting at federal elections. The fall in the numbers voting called the legitimacy of Parliament and the parliamentary system into question. The fall in the numbers voting was directly related to the electorate's disgust, disillusionment and anger with the machinations of political parties during the bruising anti-conscription plebiscites which were held during World War I. One glaring example of this behaviour was when the Prime Minister, Billy Hughes, promised his his government would resign if the conscription plebiscite failed. When the plebiscite... When the plebiscite failed, his government resigned. 24 hours later, Billy Hughes asked the Governor-General to reappoint the government that had resigned 24 hours previously. Instead of introducing parliamentary reforms... Parliament introduced compulsory voting to force people to participate in parliamentary elections. Fact. In 2016, Australia is faced with the same dilemma despite compulsory voting. Less than 85% of electors who are entitled to be on the electoral roll are on the electoral roll while another 10% 
choose to vote informal and refuse to vote despite compulsory voting. And it was interesting, and again, this is an aside from the submission, but it was interesting that during this election, it's quite legal, it's quite formal for you to only mark one box above the line, something which wasn't advertised during the election. The rapidly escalating disgust, contempt, anger and disillusionment felt by growing sections of the electorate is only is not only confined to the behaviour of the country's political representatives, it has spilled over into repeated questions being asked by the electorate about the viability of representative democracy, the cornerstone of the Australian Constitution. While compulsory voting remains, the impetus for parliamentary reform is non-existent. A parliament dominated by a handful of political parties who rely on compulsory voting to force people to the polls will, as we recently saw when the Liberal National Party and the Australian Greens joined forces to pass legislation which effectively disenfranchised over 3 million voters who voted for minor parties' independence, will repeatedly pass legislation that improves their electoral prospects, not the democratic process. If parliamentary democracy is to survive in Australia in the 21st century, parliamentary reforms need to be introduced that expand people's democratic options. While compulsory voting exists, there is no pressure on parliamentarians to explore options like citizens-initiated referendums, giving the electorate the power to recall non-performing representatives in between elections, and the more radical proposal of direct democracy as mechanisms to expand the democratic franchise and maintain Australians' faith in this country's institutions. While the ability to call referendums is the sole prerogative of the government of the day, and compulsory voting plays a pivotal role in elections, all avenues for significant democratic reforms are blocked This is the reason I have not voted in any state or federal election since 1972 when I obtained the right to vote. The argument. Section 2451 of the Commonwealth Electoral Act 1918 clearly states it shall be the duty of every elector to vote at each election. Subsection 15 imposes a penalty on electors who, without valid and sufficient reason, fail to vote. My valid and sufficient reason is a constitutional issue that is not based on a belief I have that compulsory voting is unconstitutional. I will demonstrate to the court Section 2451 of the Commonwealth Electoral Act is unconstitutional. The current Australian constitution is based on the preoccupations of the 1890s about whether the six colonies would federate or become sovereign nation-states. The Australian constitution is essentially a document that outlines the relationship that exists between the federal government 
and the six state governments that federated to become the sovereign nation state of Australia on the 1st of January 1901. Apart from the right of citizens to practice their religion freely and fair compensation for the <coughs> for the compulsory acquisition of land and property by the federal government, the Constitution of the Commonwealth of Australia has little, if anything, to say about the protection of the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. It is no accident that under the current Constitution it is legal to indefinitely detain refugees without charge, and the High Court has had to find an implied right to vote an implied right to freedom of speech during elections to uphold the cornerstone of the Australian Constitution, parliamentary democracy. Contrary to popular opinions, Australians are not guaranteed the right to vote. This furphy was laid to rest in two relatively recent High Court decisions, the King v. Jones case, Jones case, 1972, was the first substantive case that examined Section 41 of the Constitution in the High Court. Section 41, right of electors of states. No adult person who has or acquires a right to vote at elections for the more numerous House of Parliament <coughs> shall, while the right continues, be prevented by any law of the Commonwealth from voting at elections from either House of the Parliament of the Commonwealth. Susan King was one of three applicants from South Australia who had attained the right to vote at 18 in South Australia, who wanted to be placed on the Commonwealth electoral roll. The three applicants were able to vote in the South Australian House of Assembly as a result of an amendment to the Constitution Act 1934 South Australia that was passed in 1971. They wished to vote in the forthcoming federal election. The case was determined on what the definition of an adult person was. His Honour Barwick noted Section 41 as a permanent provision of the Constitution and noted it could potentially apply to a person who acquired a right to vote under state electoral law subsequent to the passing of the Commonwealth franchise in 1902. Their honours Gibbs and McTeon did not address the status of Section 41, although Gibbs was inclined to think it was a transitional arrangement. His honour Walsh accepted the words in Section 41 are not limited so as to refer only to a right to vote given by a law of a state already in force when the Constitution became operative. While his honour Stephen stated Section 41 applied to an adult person who at any time acquired the right, right to vote at a state election. Menzies adopted the position that the character of Section 41 is that of a permanent constitutional provision. Four of the six High Court judges in the King case expressed the opinion that Section 41 was a permanent constitutional provision. Now keep up with me. I know this sounds esoteric, but at the end of the day, it isn't. Blown away. Section 41, blown away. In the Pearson High Court case in 1983, the High Court was asked to determine 
whether four electors on the New South Wales electoral roll had a right to vote in the Commonwealth election. In a crushing six to one victory, the High Court decided Section 41 of the Australian Constitution was a spent provision that only existed before the passing of the Commonwealth Franchise Act in 1902. Their honours, Brennan, Dean, Dawson, Gibbs, Mason and Wilson, concluded the only section of the Constitution that conferred the right to votes to Australians was a transient section of the Constitution that had no bearing on anyone or anything, and as a transitional provision, it no longer had any practical effect. Justice Murphy, in a dissenting view, stated the majority's interpretation of Section 41 denied one of the few guarantees of the rights of persons in the Australian Constitution. Murphy also noted a right to vote is so special precious that it should not be read out of the Constitution by implication. Rather, every reasonable presumption and interpretation should be adopted which which favours the right of people to participate in the elections of those who represent them. In 1988, the Hawke Labor government appointed a constitutional commission that recommended four referendum questions be put to the people of Australia. The one title, Fair Elections, included a proposal to remove Section 41 of the Australian Constitution and replace it with a clear guarantee of the right to vote. The referendum failed miserably, only attracting 37.59 support nationally. There is no direct constitutional right to vote in the Australian Constitution and there seems to be little appetite among the Australian people, 1988 referendum result, to enshrine the right to vote in the Australian Constitution. Is there an implied right to vote in the Australian Constitution? Section 7 of the Australian Constitution, the Senate states... The Senate shall be composed of senators for each state, directly chosen by the people of the state, voting until Parliament otherwise provides as one electorate. Section 24 of the Australian Constitution, Constitution of the House of Representatives, the House of Representatives shall be composed of members directly chosen by the people of the Commonwealth and the number of such members shall be as nearly as practical twice the number of the senators. The High Court and Attorney General versus the High Court and Attorney General McKinley versus the Commonwealth, and McKinley and McGurphy versus West Australia in 1996, ruled in 1975 the Constitution does not guarantee universal adult suffrage and in 1996 rejected a guarantee of equal voting value. In the McKinley case, McTeon and Jacobs found the long-established universal adult suffrage may now be recognised as a fact and as a result 
it is doubtful whether, subject to the particular provision in Section 30 of the Constitution, anything less than this could be described as choice by the people. In McGlinkley, Brennan and Gumlow believe Parliament could not place new restrictions on adult franchise. Gumnow stated that a popular choice must be determined by reference to the particular stage which then has been reached in the evolution of representative government. It gets worse. This gets worse. The constitutional right to vote. The right to vote should be constitutionally guaranteed in any democratic society. To leave the right to vote in the hands of Parliament is democratic suicide. What is to stop a political party with a majority in both houses of Parliament in Australia from disenfranchising redheads? What at first seems a ludicrous proposition is lawful if universal adult suffrage is not guaranteed by the Australian Constitution. Recent High Court cases have seen the High Court scrutinise and reject attempts by Parliament to limit adult suffrage. The High Court decision in 1997, Lang v Australian Broadcasting Corporation, which found Australians had an implied freedom of political communication, in McGinty, Gorder and Tui opinion that a system that denied universal adult suffrage would not satisfy the requirement in Section 7 and 24 that representatives be chosen by the people. A qualified constitutional right to vote. In Roach versus the Electoral Commission of 2007, the High Court examined amendments to the Commonwealth Electoral Act about prisoners' rights to vote. The Commonwealth Electoral Act 1918 excluded state and federal prisoners serving more than one year sentences from the Commonwealth franchise. In 1983, disqualification from the Commonwealth franchise was restricted to prisoners who were serving sentences of five years or longer. In 2004, the squalling period was reduced to three years. In 2006, the right to vote was removed from all prisoners. Majority of the High Court, Gleeson, Gumno, Kirby and Creenan, upheld the 2004 amendment but struck down the 2006 change. Gleeson recognised the words of Section 7 and 24 because of changed historical circumstances, including legislative history, have come to be a constitutional protection of the right to vote. Gumno, Kirby and Creenan held that that as Sections 7 and 24 rule out disproportional restrictions on the franchise. In the 2010 case of Rao versus the Electoral Commission, a case that revolved around the prevention of applications for inclusion or change of details in the Commonwealth electoral roll for being accepted after the day's writs were issued. Since 1983, a seven-day grace period existed between the issue of the writs and the closing of the rolls. The High Court ruled in a four-to-three majority the early closure of rolls was unconstitutional. French Gumno Bell and Creenan believe the change placed a disproportionate restriction on the electoral franchise. 
Although in both cases, the High Court resisted endorsing a constitutional right to vote, they found Parliament required a substantial reason to justify a departure from universal adult suffrage. Roach, 2007. A qualified right to vote, like the implied freedom of political communication, Lang versus Australian Broadcasting Corporation, 1997, is derived from the directly chosen clauses of 7 and 24. In Lang versus Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the High Court noted unanimously that the Constitution provides for the fundamental features of representative democracy. Freedom of communication on matters of government and politics is an indispensable incident of the system of government which the Constitution creates by directing the members of the House of Representatives and the Senate shall be directly chosen by the people of the Commonwealth and the States. It was not until Roach in 2000 and seven, that a High Court majority clearly acknowledged the constitutional importance of universal adult suffrage and confirmed the need for a substantial reason to justify departure from universal suffrage. And the key is substantial reason. Chief Justice Gleeson reasoned, because the franchise is critical to representative government and lies at the centre of our concept of participation in the life of community, and of the citizenship, disenfranchisement of any group of adult citizens on a basis that does not constitute a substantial reason for exclusion from such participation would not be consistent with choice by the people. The High Court, it has taken the High Court till 2007 to finally establish a a qualified, qualified constitutional right to vote. Compulsory voting. This is not a case about compulsory voting. This is, about, this is a case about whether voting is a right or a duty. Numerous authorities have demonstrated there is an implied right to vote in the Australian Constitution. There is nothing as far as I can determine in the Australian Constitution that considers voting as a duty. It was not until 24 years after Federation the Commonwealth Parliament made voting a duty. There is nothing stated or implied in the Australian Constitution that voting is a duty. The difference between a legal right and a legal duty is choice. It is up to the individual whether they wish to exercise a legal right. Once a right, whether implied or stated, becomes a legal duty, the individual's ability to choose is removed. Previous High Court cases have not canvassed this point. They have revolved around whether the Commonwealth Parliament has the power to compel citizens to vote. The only case I can find that canvasses the idea of choice in the voting process is the Muldowney versus South Australia 1996 South Australian Supreme Court case with Justice, where Justice Dawson found a choice is nevertheless a choice notwithstanding that a voter is required to make it against his wishes. A full preferential system of voting which is compulsory and may require a voter to express a preference and so cast a vote for a candidate in favour of whom that voter would rather not cast a vote, a vote at all, but that is to do more than require the voter to make a, a choice within the confines of a particular electoral system. 
This case revolved around objection to compulsory preferential voting. It did not canvass the idea about whether voting was a duty or an implied right. It was a case about choosing how to rank candidates during an election. It had nothing to do with Section 2451 of the Commonwealth Electoral Act. The case can be summed up by the analogy about a parent asking a child what flavoured ice cream they want, not whether they want an ice cream in the first place. I think I have demonstrated the submission sufficient doubt exists about the constitutional validity of Section 2451 of the Commonwealth Electoral Act, the section of the Act which I was charged under for failing to vote on the 7th of September 2013. The doubts I have raised about the constitutional validity of Section 2451 that claims voting is a duty, not an implied right, is, I believe, a valid and sufficient reason for not voting on the 7th of September 2013. So that was the essence of the arguments. Now, obviously, the Commonwealth Prosecutor, uh, they office put their argument to the magistrate, and they brought up an interesting High Court. They brought up a case that was determined in the Supreme Court of South Australia, not the High Court, the Supreme Court of South Australia, four or five years ago. And the magistrate went away for an hour and a half and... uh, had a look at both arguments and uh, when he came back it was quite obvious he was a little bit troubled because being part of the magistrate's court he is obliged to follow precedents in a higher court. So the essence of the case was simple. The decision was exceptionally simple. It highlights what I've been saying to people for decades. There is no personal, there is no constitution, there's no personal constitutional guarantee of the right to vote in the Australian Constitution. Although there is an implied, although there have been a number of court decisions which have highlighted there is an implied right to vote, that implied right to vote is not a personal right. It is not an individual right. It is a generic right. And what that means is that Parliament can make legislation not only about the type of voting system we have, but about who has who is able to exercise that generic right to vote. You don't have a personal or an individual right to vote in the implied right to vote that has been found in the Australian Constitution. You don't have that. That's what this court case determined, which was based on the South Australian Supreme Court decision. You don't have that right. It's a generic right. Parliament determines who votes and who doesn't. Obviously, if you have a problem, you can take that matter of the High Court to be reviewed by the seven wise ones, the seven wise monkeys. But Parliament tomorrow, if one nation had a majority in both houses of Parliament, could constitutionally pass legislation which denies... Muslims, Australian citizens, the right to vote. 
Parliament could pass legislation tomorrow which denies redheads the right to vote, which denies people with you know one leg the right to vote. Parliament has that power because it's Parliament and Parliament alone because we only have a generic right, a genetic implied constitutional right to vote, not a personal implied constitutional right to vote. It's only Parliament which has that power. So you have no constitutional protections. None whatsoever. There is no specific personal right to vote, not even an implied right to vote, in the Australian Constitution. None whatsoever. So people who enjoy the right to vote today could have it removed tomorrow because of changed historical circumstances. There is nothing in the Australian Constitution which protects the cornerstone of representative democracy. So in essence, the Australian Constitution is basically just a trade document that regulates the relationship between the central government and the states. It has nothing to do with the individual. It has nothing to do to protect the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. And that's why we see over and over again legislation be pushed through federal parliament and rubber stamped by the High Court, which removes what few rights and liberties you do are actually able to exercise through legislative agreements. So what was the final outcome? It was interesting. The final outcome was interesting after, you know, 18 months through the courts, eight appearances. The final outcome was no conviction, no bond, no fine, no court costs. I lost the argument, but uh, that was the end of the that was the end of the day. But what it demonstrate is that how the Constitution is interpreted really rests in the hands of seven political appointments, which are the High Court judges. So obviously, although judges are appointed until they, till they, they turn 70, High Court judges are appointed. <coughs> Governments, when a High Court position becomes available, will put somebody in that position which reflects their ideological concerns, their political <coughs> opinions. So, interesting exercise, because what I was able to demonstrate over the last 18 months is there is no personal right to vote. There is no implied right, constitutional right to vote. That what happens, as far as voting is concerned, as far as the type of voting procedures is concerned, as far as senators are elected, as far as House of Representatives are elected, is a parliamentary decision. There is no protection for the population in the Constitution. So you can actually restrict the franchise, you can increase the franchise about who votes and who doesn't. It's at parliamentary whim, depending on what the flavour of the day is as far as uh, the ideological um, piccadillas of the days are. So it is a, a particularly... particularly 
wasteful piece of paper, the Australian Constitution. And those people who tell me that somehow it protects you as an individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power need to look at it again because it doesn't. Government basically can do whatever it likes. <coughs> Not that we didn't know that. Obviously, we did know that. But the propaganda is that we hear on a daily basis, you've got the right to vote, you've got the freedom of speech, freedom of association. Come on. Look at the laws that have been introduced which have basically criminalised trade union activity, which have removed the right to strike in this country. No constitutional protection for a worker to remove their labour. None whatsoever. No constitutional protection for a particular voting system. No constitutional protection for participation in the electoral process. No particular protection as far as, you know, discussing freedom of speech. It's really all up to Parliament because the Constitution is basically a piece of paper that regulates the relationship, as I keep saying, between the federal government and the states. So if you somehow think that your political fortunes, your security, your freedoms, your liberties are protected by the Australian Constitution, think again, because they're not. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Now, it's a little bit like public assets, you know. Everybody thinks and believes that public assets are owned by the people because the people pay for them through the taxation system, not the corporate sector, but the people, right? Now, we have seen time and time again, time and time again, that public assets are not owned by the people. They are owned by the government of the day. And the government of the day can sell them. Although they're only elected for three or four years, three on the federal level, four on the state level, they can sell them at any time without consultation, without holding a referendum or the plebiscite. End of story. So if you want a public asset that belongs to the people to remain in the people's hands, the ownership of that public asset needs to be incorporated in the Australian Constitution. And the only way that can occur is through Parliament, a government majority in both houses of Parliament, holding a referendum on that question. And obviously, you're not going to get referendums on that question. Because Parliament, there is no incentive for Parliament, which is controlled by you know a handful of political parties, to give the population as a whole the ability to change the Constitution or incorporate new concepts in the Constitution. For example, for example, we are going to have, maybe, maybe, a plebiscite on marriage equality, right? What's the point of holding a plebiscite? All it is is an indication of what the population thinks. You could have a bloody poll. If you want marriage equality to be real, 
we need to hold a referendum. Because if a majority in four states and a majority in the nation as a whole votes for marriage equality, that decision will be incorporated in the Australian Constitution and no government could legislate it away. Because when they talk about legislation through Parliament, you've got a different Parliament of a different ideological complexion. You can legislate that so-called right away tomorrow. So unless that right, as we discussed and looked at in terms of compulsory voting, is incorporated in the Australian Constitution, it really means that Parliament can do what it likes at any particular point in time with minimal, minimal oversight. And occasionally, if it strays out of boundary, you know, by miles, you may get some type of High Court challenge. So it's quite extraordinary. Now, a little bit of uh, tidying up, because we've got a lot of things happening. First of all, I encourage you to join public interest before corporate interests. You want political change. You want social change. You want community change. There's no point complaining about it day in and day out. You want change. It's time to join a political movement We're just trying to establish a political party. It's essentially a political movement, a political party called Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. That challenges the idea that the corporate sector is at the centre of life in this country. Centre of life. I said ad nauseum. Why don't we have an adequate public health system? Why don't we have an adequate public education system? Why don't we have publicly owned resources? Why don't we have public infrastructure? Well, it's simple. If the richest people in this country pay voluntary taxation, if corporations you know, like Chevron pay $246 in tax while having billions of dollars of assets, how do you expect revenue to be raised from pay-as-you-earn taxpayers who have not had any decent wage increases for the last 20 years, who, during the privatisation, deregulation, globalisation and corporatised revolution, have found that the wealth that flows into their pockets has changed from two-thirds of wealth falling into the workers' pockets, one-third into investors. In the last 40 years, it's, it's, it's diametrically opposed. Two-thirds goes into the investors' pockets, one-third goes to the workers' pockets. So how can you have a tax take which actually can address address the issues we have? And when you have you know, so-called rating agencies telling government that the way to resolve the fiscal, in inverted commas, crisis is to cut back on services. And we get the Australian people saying... Yay, we love it, we love it. Let's bash the other, the person on the Social Security benefit. Those 33% of Australians on Social Security, let's bash the worker. Let's make trade union activity a criminal criminal exercise. And all this goes on and on. Just extraordinary. But we've had an election and people said, fine. But it's interesting. We may have had an election... But only about 70%, despite compulsory voting, and despite tens of thousands of letters that will be going out, you know, 
less than 70% of Australians who are entitled to vote actually voted. In the electorate I stood at, in the Toscano for Dunkley campaigning, the informal vote was 6%. Many of those informal votes were related to the fact that people were disin- felt disenfranchised by the electoral system. Only 88% of electors bothered to vote. 88%, that's 12%. And this is an, an increasing issue. And this is why you know, I was involved in this you know, tedious court case, which resulted in no conviction, no fine, no bond, no court costs being awarded against me. Think about it. Now, I've got a few other interesting things coming up. Those of you who are members of the West Papuan Rent Collective and those of you who would love to be a member of the West Papuan Rent Collective, and we do accept everybody's cash, the West Papuan office will be holding an open day on Sunday, the 14th of August, at the office at 838 Collins Street, Docklands, actually at the meeting room downstairs. Lunch will be provided by Dapu Sampari. Then there'll be a discussion about relisting by the West Papuans, relisting West Papua on the UN decolonisation agenda, which will occur hopefully in September 2016. And then a launch of a book on decolonisation boundaries and self-determination by Annette Cully. Now, we encourage as many of the West Papuan Rent Collective members to come along, bring your family, bring your friends. And if you're interested in becoming a member of the West Papuan Rent Collective and you want to try before you buy, come along. I mean, it's not often for a relatively small sum of money that you can actually have a profound impact on what's happening overseas and what's happening in this country. It costs a dollar a day to be a member of the West Papuan Rent Collective. And every cent of that money goes to paying the rent on the office at 838 Collins Street, Docklands, which has now become a major organising force around the globe in the struggle for West Papua independence. And that has been possible because of the generosity of members of the West Papua Rent Collective. We're currently down about six members. It's a dollar a day. Think about it. For the cost of two large pizzas, a packet of cigarettes, or a, a Chinese meal, f- you know, you can actually be part of the rent collective. That's $30 a month. You could put in $30 a month. You could put in $360 for the year. It's up to you. How you pay it. You can do it anonymously. You can walk into any Commonwealth bank and hand cash over the counter. You can do it. Telephone banking, email banking, you name it, you can do it. You can put money in the account. <clears throat> so if you want further details, if you want to become a member of the West Papua Rent Collective, and this is one of the most productive, important things you can do for a minimal, minimal outlay, give us a call. Give us a call on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. And we've got a lot of other ish, other things organised. We've got Norman Day, which will be on the 9th of October. We have the Eureka Celebrations, which will be held on the 3rd of December. We'll be conducting an electoral campaign where we will be 
actually not even, not standing not standing as candidates, but actually looking at looking at what the people who've put themselves will be putting themselves down for election in the city of Ballarat, whether they agree, candidates agree to having the Eureka flag flown on the main flagpole, and obviously we'll be uh, possibly organising a seminar about that. We have a website about that. There's, uh, as I said, the 3rd of December, and some really good news that's come in recently is I expect, I expect, and I could be out by a week or two, the Tanaminawai and Morbohina Monument will be up in early September within the next uh, six weeks, and that the official opening will be on the twelfth, the tenth of September. So, all those of you who've been following that, who are part of the Tanaminawai and Morbohina commemorations who come every year, it looks like well, it is the monument is a reality. It will be up before the next uh, mayoral elections and Melbourne City Council elections in October, and we expect that it will be uh, officially opened on the tenth of September. But we will keep you informed regarding what's happening there. So there's lots of things happening. And don't forget that if you want to nominate somebody for your Rika Australia Day medal, refuse to take your, you know, the Order of Australia on Invasion Day or the Queen's birthday, well, you can get your Rika Australia Day medal on the 3rd of December. You want to nominate somebody? Email it to anarchistage at yahoo.com. Write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Interested in what we're doing? Go to the website, anarchismedia.org. Public interest before corporate interest, pipsy.net. Uh, the Toscano for Dunkley uh, Facebook page will soon be changed in the next few days to Toscano for Public Interest uh, Facebook page and uh, where you'll be able to look at the various events and things that I'm involved in and which obviously I encourage you to become involved in and if you're not interested in anything I'm doing, well, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that you do something yourself. No point throwing rocks the TV, going blind, you know, surfing the net or watching YouTube end of the day, what happens, how things change, whether things will change in this country, who makes decisions, who exercises power ultimately depends on your active participation. Rebellion is not just about casting a ballot or not casting a ballot every three to four years. Rebellion and that struggle for change is about active participation. We can all participate in many ways. Those websites again, pipsy.net anarchismedia.org, tunnermall.org, and the list goes on and on. Now, as I said before, we've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. It looks like we've survived the hour. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Leave a message on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast by the Community Radio Network. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. 3cr.org.au. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. I guarantee you we won't be lapsing into constitutional esoteric arguments next week. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of 
death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.